Welcome back to Supply Chain Insider, a podcast series for material handling and logistics. I'm your host, Dave Blanchard, Editor-in-Chief of MHNL, and this time out, we're going to answer, or at least attempt to answer, the question on everybody's mind right now. What should companies be doing to avoid any further breakdowns in their supply chains, especially as peak season is upon us? To help us answer that, we'll be joined here by Carly Gunther, a supply chain expert with Accenture. We'll talk about the role that supply chain leaders play in helping companies prepare for the future. And she'll offer a look at some of the technologies being used to help companies gain a competitive advantage in the marketplace. So that's what's coming up in this podcast. So let's get started. Welcome back to Supply Chain Insider. And today we're talking to Carly Gunther, the Managing Director, Supply Chain and Operations with Accenture. So Carly, welcome and thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Dave. I am so incredibly excited to be here today with you. Um, My role in Accenture is really helping our clients transform their supply chains to becoming more growth engines, focused on customers, and really kind of thinking about all of the, what's going to happen potentially in the future and how their supply chains would need to adjust to support not only today, but but in that future. Um, I work pretty extensively in the life sciences space. Um, I have worked cross, cross industry in the past in consumer goods and a little bit in retail, but for the most part, my um, my passion and day-to-day focus is in life sciences and the and the pharmaceutical manufacturing space. Okay, just to provide a little bit of context, because I've been covering supply chain management for quite a while, and it's always an interesting revelation to me what kind of titles somebody might have when they say they have a, you know, they're in the supply chain, because it could be, you know, the, the full gamut, what could be warehousing, could be procurement, could be logistics and transportation. It could be a number of different things. So uh, since we, uh, our conversation kind of started with a look at the disruptions that are um, have an impact on chief supply chain officers, what are the typical responsibilities from your perspective of a chief supply chain officer? What, what, what do you find that these types of people focus on mostly in their jobs? Yeah, excellent question, Dave. I would say there are four kind of key points that, that I would highlight or key responsibilities for a chief supply chain officer. The first one is ultimately owning that supply chain strategy that fits and fully aligns with the overall business strategy. So having that seat at the table to even shape the broader business strategy, but then having the, the kind of supply chain specific strategy that supports or enables that. And, and ultimately, um, that strategy should help define how it's going to support the business strategy, but also evolve the business at the same time. So supply chain, not just being a cost efficiency uh, function, but also that, that enablement for, for growth in the, in the organization. The second responsibility is, of course, operational execution. So getting all of the goods and services to the customers on time, 
um, as desired by, by those customers and making sure that all of those functions from sourcing procurement to manufacturing to fulfillment or logistics and then service, of course, just depending on the industry are fully covered. The third is being a talent strategist. And this is one that I, I do think has come for any uh, functional leader in, a, in an organization, but even more so for supply chain. But that is having a plan to bring in and retain talent. Um, what that talent needs to look like today for that supply chain as it exists now, but then also thinking about how and what that talent needs to look like in, in the future. And the fourth responsibility is, is more so um, kind of embedded across the others, but making sure that new digital tools and capabilities are kind of fully baked into that strategy and are not just a side impact, but something that's kind of fully embedded into the operations as well as the talent um, key component of all of this and delivering the, the actual operation, operational execution that aligns with the strategy. Do you find that these sorts of individuals tend to work at larger companies? So I just wonder if there's a, a percentage or a, any kind of a yardstick by what kind of company would typically have a chief supply chain officer? Yeah, so so first off, let me just say in terms of the mix of where you would see a, a title of a chief supply chain officer, there, there is a bit of a mix, um, but I will say that a lot more of the smaller forward thinking, very fast growing organizations do tend to have chief supply chain officers. Okay. Um, now, the kind of the rough percentage based on a Gartner report that was just released for the 2021 CEO and senior business executive survey um, indicates around 70% of organizations have a formal chief supply chain officer role in the organization. And a larger majority of those are large organizations, right? So 10,000 plus employees globally, multinational organization. Um, and that is kind of probably another key consideration for, for these positions as well is the, the, the size and the scope of the organization of where they're serving customers based on products and services and the need for that because, um, you know, size size sometimes can matter and location for that matter as well. Another thing that you mentioned when you talked about one of the responsibilities of a, of a supply chain office, chief supply chain officer would be a talent strategist, acquiring and retaining talent. Again, I, I, not, not to get too hung up on definitions, but we saw an announcement earlier this week that uh, Walmart, for instance, is planning on hiring tens of thousands of what they call supply chain people. But when you when you read through the news, what they're talking about is hiring people, you know, primarily to work in their warehouses and, you know, transportation sorts of jobs. So when when a supply chain manager, director, vice president, supply chain, chief supply chain officer, any of those sorts of people are looking for supply chain talent, is that what they're literally looking for? Are people who will work uh, you know, in, in warehouses and in, in loading and unloading and, and order entry and those sorts of things? Or are they looking for supply chain analysts and more of the, what, what you think of as, as uh, 
a degreed supply, someone with a supply chain degree in some sort of a field, or is it all of the above? Are they looking for everybody that has any touch point within the supply chain? Yeah, it's a, it's a great, a great question as well, Dave. I, I would say it, it really is all of it and it's going to remain all of it until supply chain continues to evolve more, I would say, becoming less dependent on humans, right? So for the, and even, and even so those jobs are still going to exist in some capacity um, regardless, but, but I do think that the need here is across the execution, the intelligent, kind of more analytical supply chain analyst type roles that you were talking about, but also the the strategic leaders that they need to take their organization to the next level. And the reality is that they've got, I would say, like a good mix. And and I can share a little bit more about this as well. But you know, you have to have a full-on plan for what based on the capabilities that your organization needs in the future on how and where and when you source that talent. And that sourcing that talent could also just be within. So how you build up the talent that you have in order to get the right skills. And there's a little bit of the this concept of art versus science, right? And the art meaning I understand the business, I understand the um, products or services to, to a degree that I, you can't just do that with a machine. Um, and then there's other activities that are a bit more of a science, um, like planning, forecasting, those types of activities, right. especially for your more commodity you know, products or services, you can perhaps utilize automation for some of those activities, whereas the science behind actually having, or excuse me, the art behind actually understanding a bit more of the business and the contextual background and history, those things are still important for, for perhaps a high value. Okay, uh, let's move on uh, to kind of the, the, the key questions that we'd really love to get some, some of your insights on because it sure. could be everybody. Uh, it, it's interesting to me because I've been working in various supply chain publications and websites and digital media, and, but it's all on supply chain. And for the longest time, when, when I mentioned that I worked in you know, supply chain um, area, people would say, well, what exactly is the supply chain? Well, now everybody knows what the supply chain is, but they kind of just use that word as a catch-all, like, well, how come I can't get, uh, you know, a new couch ordered in eight months uh, mm-hmm. or things like that? How come, how come I can't get um, some new type of power equipment or why, why, why are we waiting so long for various commodities and, and com- consumer goods and industrial goods? And what, what, what's this with this chip shortage and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. People just think of supply chain in kind of the negative ter- terms of um, shortages. So uh, I know Accenture has been doing some, some great research on how supply chain officers can prepare for these kind of disruptions and as well as for future disruptions. I guess I'm kind of curious, uh, one of the terms that, that the research used is a recommendation that supply chains, uh, there's the chief supply chain officers should learn how to break the limits of their supply chain. I thought that was really interesting and kind of a provocative term. So what exactly does that mean? What does breaking the limits of a supply chain refer to? 
So in today's world, a, a most supply chains are linear and they're completely owned within the organization. And so the concept of breaking the limits of the supply chain is to take the concept of that linear kind of holistically owned supply chain and look outside. So instead of having it be centralized, look at decentralizing and having a network that really helps now execute the supply chain of the future, leveraging ecosystem partners, um, not owning necessarily all of the, the assets uh, from manufacturing all the way through transportation to actually get that, that supply chain to function. And so the, the kind of that breaking limits is having that um, the concept of not just uh, having the, the one, one stop shop, the one siloed way of, of working anymore and really thinking outside of that boundary. Uh, interesting concept. I mean, I, I can remember going back earlier, probably the start of this century, maybe it was that early or um, around then people started saying, well, the idea of a supply chain itself sounds too linear that we should really start talking about supply chain networks, um, kind of the ecosystem that you were talking about just there. But it's uh, been a slow, obvious, a slow process if here we are 20 years later and we're still talking about that. Is it uh, an organizational issue that the companies are still stuck in the silos? Is it a technology issue that companies haven't yet learned how to adapt to a more um, global network as opposed to just going through the, the linear progress that you talked about. What, what do you think is slowing companies down from, from moving to that supply chain or to that supply network kind of a, of a description? So I, so I think historically, and we actually spoke about this a little bit in the, in the, um, in the research as well around kind of, we called it push to the edge is one of the other kind of business signals. And the, the reality is that we've gone in this pendulum swing as in most um, industries and functions as well from decentralized to centralized to decentralized to decentralized again. And in, in this particular context, the, the reason why we actually believe that decentralized networks are really going to, to, to start to pick up significantly is because of the access of data. Because historically, if you decentralized and it took you two to three months to get rear looking information to then make an, uh, an execution decision within the next week, you were already so far behind that no matter what your forecast accuracy was going to be horrible, your meeting your customers' expectations were going to be horrendous and not, not achieve those goals. And so now we've got a situation where you have real time access to information and technology that can in fact help get where we want to be going in the future on top of the fact that let's put it out there customers are expecting more regionalized localized products and services than they ever have before and so it, it may not even be an, a choice for a company because they need in order to survive you have to meet those customer based expectations and so because of the technology because of the customer expectations and, and I do believe that we're seeing this era more and more of the kind of the network-based roles instead of those silo-based silo roles. And it is coming out in performance. The supply chain leaders are, are those that are kind of viewing a more of a network-based view. 
versus that siloed view that you were just referring to. So there still may be adoption time for it, but I do believe that it's going to start to exponentially pick up. Let's drill down a little bit more into, you talked a little bit about um, some of the technologies, uh, you mentioned a little bit on, on data and data analytics. So also art, artificial intelligence was a, a major talking point in, in some of this recent Accenture research. So I'm kind of wondering what uh, specifically, any specific examples that you can give us of how AI and data analytics and machine learning and, and these new uh, smart or intelligent tools can can help a company, especially on the supply chain side? So a really good one would be on demand sensing. So in normal, I would say normal day terms, right, in the linear supply chains that, that, that many organizations still have, you're getting backward looking, once again, backward looking information on, on demand. Um, and then you're using that to predict the future. And, and there's not a lot of other um, algorithms that are used to say what else could be influencing the demand that's, that's coming in. And now we've got artificial intelligence and automation that can pull in array of external information outside of your organization to start to put together to say, there is some additional seasonality to the products and services that I'm delivering. The weather may impact the, for as an example, the weather itself may even impact my, um, my demand. And so if you start to take in the access to this information that's, that's now one of largely even publicly available information to start to understand better your own demand, that is a really, really good example of how um, automation as well as artificial intelligence can actually consume that data utilizing their algorithms that are developed based on your particular segment of the supply chain that you're servicing and then provide good insights for where to take action. Would you say there are very many companies right now that are using demand sensing tools or any other accessible AI based tools? I would say it's growing. Those and they and even in some cases, I would say there's a small there there is a small group of of, of organizations that are using this in what I'll call like in a production like capacity. There's also a much larger group of people that are using it in a pilot or proof of concept mode. So maybe in one segment in one geography of their supply chain, they're using it. And the difference that I see in those that have significant, we kind of, in an extension, we talk about start small, scale fast. And those that, that let the proof of concept or the pilot kind of go on in parallel for a year or more, well, the, the actual like adoption rate for that just becomes so low because you're not actually changing the process from which you're, you're actually executing that, that activity anymore. It's just now a technology is sitting alongside a person doing the same thing. And then it becomes this battle of human versus machine. And that was never the intent. It is human plus machine. It's working in tandem to provide the information and insights to the humans so that they can actually spend the time more on those, those strategic activities. So uh, hopefully that answers your question. I, I think in the end of the day, like we, we are 
um, seeing an uptake of it, maybe not as you know aggressively as we we would maybe want to see. But I do think that once again, this is another space where they're they're just gonna there's gonna be a little bit of force of a hand too because you can't necessarily hire enough people to do all of the same things that that you can't do at scale with with um, automation. Yeah, you you raised a couple interesting points there. One being some of the traditional horror stories that that supply chain people tell each other or to scare their kids, I guess, at night is <laughs> the, the famous supply chain disruptions of, of the past where the the plan, the, the whether it was AI-based or just a supply chain plan based on some other type of algorithms indicated, you know, stop making this product. Um, and, and the humans didn't listen. They said, it's not possible that that our market has shifted that quickly or was about to shift that quickly. So they just kept making it. And then they ended up with way more inventory than they could ever, than they could ever sell. So they had to take huge write-offs. Right. And part of that, like, like you're saying is, is the human versus the machine, the humans weren't, weren't able to believe the machine. Um, I think these days with, with the speed of e-commerce just making same day deliveries almost gotten to be ex, you know expected now. It's not just a, a really expensive, only use in rare occasions sort of thing. It's like, well, I, I I ordered it this morning. Why don't I have it yet? You know, that exactly. It's just becoming uh, so exponentially widespread that I think we need tools like AI to be able to anticipate that kind of demand, especially if things shift. Uh, real quickly, I think with with the hurricane that just is, has been going through, a lot of companies who are using these sorts of, of technologies probably uh, have been able to react a lot more quickly to uh, shifts of, of demand and, and getting products where they need to be really quickly. But uh, along with all that is the sense that if you haven't gotten into AI yet or or, or some of the more sophisticated supply chain planning tools, because I think most companies by now have some kind of a supply chain planning software or a program, but mm-hmm. the more complex and you know the, the, the latest and greatest technology wrinkles in, in AI, how expensive is it for a, a company to, to go from, from zero to, to fully implement it? And is it a, a, an issue of technology, hiring consultants or uh, technicians who can implement that? Is it hiring, you know, having having those sorts of people on your staff to, to work on that full time, you know, IT sort of specialists? What seems to be best practices in, in companies getting up to speed on, on some of these technologies? So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna break down your 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 question um, into a couple of different pieces. And first, uh, I would just mention in regards to the full landscape of, of technologies. My my guidance is that companies should be looking at all of the different technologies in a, in their strategy, even if they aren't ready to use it now. And the reason for that is that if you want to play a little bit of a war gaming scenario in the what if scenarios, which we love in supply chain, 
it, it's really important to be able to say, how is this technology going to impact my business, my supply chain now and in the future? And then also to help you as an organization prioritize where you should spend your time investing that, that time and energy to it. So it's not necessarily to say that you're going to execute on all of it now, but at least you would have some sort of an opinion on what might be critical for you to do now based off of where you currently are in your business um, and where your supply chain capabilities are at. So that's the, the first kind of point. The second and around the, the actual like implementation piece, it, that you would be shocked at how inexpensive to implement some of these things are from a, just like a sheer technology point of view. And a lot of that is driven because of the cloud and the capabilities that can can exist in the cloud for, for these types of, um, especially for automation, artificial intelligence. The, the cost comes in twofold. One is really understanding your business process and having that be standardized and refined in a way that, that you can, in fact, infuse this technology to, to do it. And that's also why I think I've seen a lot of failures with this technology in the past as well, because people tried to, or organizations tried to layer on top um, technology to something that they they weren't even sure how it'll like work to end to end. So having a good understanding, and if the organization has a very robust process and understands how it works and layering on the, the technology piece to, to it, I would say not layering it, but embedding it within the process itself, excuse me, um, becomes um, a, a pretty easy exercise. But the second component of, of all this is, and actually, I'm sorry, there's going to be three, but the second component of this is around like the, the change management um, and the talent. So getting people up to speed on what is going to change in their role or even others' roles that they interact with, um, but also what is a benefit to them. So that whole change management exercise is, is pretty big in the organization. And then the third, which you rightfully called out is just upkeep. One of the other kind of great lessons learned of, of in, you know, embedding this type of technology into the process is, well, geez, as the process changes, which it should to, to continuously improve, I need to make sure the technology is changing along with it. And so there is a need uh, whether that be um, in insourced to the organization or outsourced outside of the organization with with contractors or or consultants, to help make sure that that kind of evolving nature, that continuous improvement of the algorithms and the capability itself stays up to speed on where it wants, because it's it's a garbage of garbage out. You have to continue to make sure it's optimized for what what you're looking for it to achieve. Okay, thanks. You gave us a lot to, to think about there. So one other thing I, I would like to talk to talk to you about would, would be in the nature of, I mean, we're, you know, we're still in this this pandemic. So, but taking taking COVID out of the equation for the for the time being, if we can. I know that's hard to, hard to <laughs> do that. But, but yeah. uh, just the whole nature of supply chain disruptions is is a larger issue than than COVID. There's been a lot of natural disasters over the past, just just this century. We've seen earthquakes, we've seen tsunamis, we've seen volcanic eruptions, all kinds of things um, that have at at least temporarily severely disrupted 
the supply chain. And I know that Accenture's research does focus on on helping companies, especially supply chain people, because that's kind of what, what they're supposed to be able to do better than anybody else is to anticipate the unexpected. So any any advice or emerging best practices, whether from the, the current shortages that we're seeing due to COVID or you know, how, do, how do companies best plan for something that you just can't plan for? Yeah, thank, thanks, Dave. So there's um, kind of three main things that I would I would mention there. And the first one is around supply chain resiliency and, and having a really good understanding of the, the threats and the risks to your supply chain. And the threats and the risks can be all the things that you mentioned, right? Political, geopolitical, um, weather related, or just things like COVID illnesses, sicknesses, or amongst many other things, right? Uh, that are out there in the world. And having a view on how resilient your supply chain is, is incredibly important so that you know in the future when something like, once again, the what if scenarios that we love, when something like this happens, this is the type of disruption I can expect. And this is how quickly I can rebound from it. But having a really good view and understanding of, of that is, is incredibly important. And we actually uh, partnered up with MIT to develop a supply chain stress test that, that actually gives a really good view as a preliminary starting point for supply chain organizations on, on where those risks and threats are um, for their supply chain. The second is, is really to understand that the power of data and in your organization and outside of your organization, um, really embrace to trust it and start making decisions based off of that, that data. Because if you think about, once again, going back to the resiliency point um, in this world of, of disruption, if you start to see things happen that are trending in a direction that you need to intervene, you should be able to do that a lot quicker with the information you're getting now versus what you even had five years ago. But understanding that that data that you have access to, as well as the, the even the external data is an important piece for, for resiliency and from my perspective. And then the third, which I've highlighted a couple of times here, is around um, investing in talent and making sure that you've got the right people and the right roles for your organization so you can weather the storm, no matter what that storm may may look like for the broader world, but also your, your organization. Let me, let me wrap this up because uh, we've just got a little bit of time left here for this podcast, but your last point I think is, a, is definitely something that's on everybody's mind because in any surveys we've done with the, with the magazine, uh, acquiring and retaining talent just seems to be, the biggest challenge the companies have. And it seems right now that's that's the case, no matter what, what type of person you're looking for. What would be your recommendation for how companies can find the kind of talent that they need and how can they they keep them around? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Dave. I, so on that one, I would say we've got a, um, a little of a framework that we like to, to use in the organization called Build, Buy, Bot, and Borrow. And what I'll go into what I mean by that in a second, but but this all kind of precludes to actually having a talent strategy in place and 
And to the point around that chief supply chain officer being the talent strategist is, is really important because for the different roles of the, the organization, having a, a preview on, should I build the skills internally? Do I buy or acquire the skills that I need in my organization? Bot being the, the robots, right? So do I look at leveraging bots to actually execute the work that I need to in the future? And how do I get there through the process standardization automation I was referencing? And then the fourth is around borrowing. Um, to the point that I made earlier around the, the networks that we discussed pretty extensively, the world and the ecosystem is a lot broader than just what you have in your organization today. And you can actually look at how do you extend your supply chain network of, of talent outside without necessarily needing to add headcount, maybe that short term. It could be, once again, like cyclical based, but using that ecosystem in order to fill your needs. I hope it works. I hope that the, the, the best supply chain people will, will end up going into the the fields into the types of companies and organizations where they're most needed. Cause I know by golly, <laughs> right now, everybody is hurting for, for good supply chain talent that can, can just help get, get products moved to where they, they belong. So anyways, uh, wrapping it up, Carly, thank you so much again for joining us on, on our podcast. We will put a link to the Accenture research that Carly has been talking about and referring to uh, on the mhlnews.com website. So once again, thank you so much, Carly. I really do appreciate that you have you join us here today. Thank you so much, Dave. It was my absolute pleasure. Great. Thanks so much and, and take care, everybody.